many reasons why. First of all, the reward in Abba is qualitatively different than Noyim Hazeh, so you couldn't get it anyway. It's, it doesn't, you know, there's nothing here that would, would qualify as a reward in Noyim Abba. Besides, the amount is infinite, so how could you give somebody infinite reward here? You know what I'm saying? Okay. Everything that you get here just enables you to go on, or it gives you a greater opportunity. Isn't that a very depressing thought that, that the person, the person, every person lived, hopes to live for many, many years? So basically, all the riches that you're doing is like you put it in a sealed bank. Account. Correct. That's exactly and what it is. Better health or a job or a better share in this world. That's erroneous. There are no rewards in, in all Hazeh. That's a definitive statement, absolute. Nothing that you experience in this world, even if it's phenomenal, is not considered a reward. It is considered an opportunity. For instance, if somebody all of a sudden wins a you know, $300 million lottery, that's not a reward. You can't think they have the No, because the, because the reward, no, in a Mahabha, one second of a reward in Oyelim Abba is infinitely greater than all the pleasurable moments of all mankind throughout all the generations. So how could you possibly have that type of reward? Here, you can't. Like I said, you know, quantitatively and qualitatively, what goes on in Oyelim Abba is completely different. But what everything is here is an opportunity to do more mitzvahs. It's, it's a, it provides you an opportunity to... Yeah, that, that's what it is. I'll give you an example, for instance. Friends, imagine if you were a, uh, you were a, you worked in a bank, and you're, uh, you know, uh, what do you call those guys behind the bank? Clerk. Tell okay. us. Tell us. And all of a sudden, they came home and said that the person, we like what you're doing. Is this on, by the way? No, yeah. Oh, yeah? Imagine that you said to the person, uh, you know, I like what you're doing. I'm going to make you a... Uh, manager. Uh, a manager. Is that a reward? No. Because you have to work. Yeah, you still have to work. The only thing, it's a greater opportunity, right? Whatever that means, more money, you know, maybe more responsibility, more in charge. That's all it is. It's an opportunity. There is no such thing as a reward. But when you're responsible, no, know, sir. That's an opportunity. It's, it's not called a reward. No, not at all. It's It's an opportunity because if you have a panosa, you can learn more Torah, you can do more stuff, more chesed, and so on. These are all opportunities. So schaf oinish is not possible in, in this world. Oinish is possible. But that's schaf. That's schaf. And the only reason why oinish is possible is because to get into ilm habo, you have to be completely Torah. There is no, you cannot get into ilm habo and have any claims against you sin-wise. That's why everything is done before Ilm Habo, whether it be here, Gilgul, Gehenim, whatever it is, has to be complete before you walk into Ilm Habo. Because that is a place that... But what it says over there is Mishael right? So the Eichel Perisayim is not considered reward. Those are considered rewards, or not? Uh, yeah. Those are rewards? There are no rewards in Oyim Hazeh. But so when it says, that's what? That could be uh, a consequence, let's say, of what you've done, which will allow you now to have, again, more opportunities. Opportunities? Yeah.
There are no rewards. That's why Karen Kayemas, the real reward can take place in Oilam Habo, not in Oilam Hazem. People make a mistake. They think, oh, wow, I'm getting great stuff because of the mitzvah I did. No. Whatever you did is allowing you a greater opportunity and so on. Or maybe, maybe it maybe allow you to be easier to live, right? But then again, you have challenges and so on, you know. But it's, it's not the reward that awaits people in Oilam Habo. That's very critical. What? You see that Sadiq can have a better life than Rishon. Love that. What? 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 I had gone into certain ideas. Um, you know what the whole purpose is, what the whole avoided really is. Well, that's what I said. Anyway, um, what hap- You know uh, what fundamentally is done, and what we realize is that, like I said, there's a concept of a, there's a thing called the tikkun process. And Tikkun, as I had mentioned, really, is obviously to correct some type of deficiency, to undo, to correct, to repair, to restore, whatever word you want to use, uh, a deficient situation or state. But what's important to remember is that I mentioned that last week, um, and that is that there is, our tachas is to bring ore down. I mentioned that last week, I think, whatever, right? To bring down all, certain divine energy, to bring it down, and right now we hold it in storage, because we can't use it immediately, but certainly to uh, bring down a certain incredible amount of Kedusha, it's called ore or energy and so on. So that's really what our job is, and that creates Zikuch, which is to purify the material world, or I should say to dematerialize it. And that itself goes greater and greater dematerializations until ultimately it becomes part of our Ilum That's really what we want to do. So what we're really doing is removing the barrier that we have to experiencing the Rabbana Shalom. That's really what it is. Because the physical universe doesn't allow us really to experience God, the Rabbana Shalom, in a way that is truly incredible. So therefore we have to dematerialize and that's, by the way, one of the reasons you'll notice there are religions that tell you to stay away from the world. Christianity is classic, you know, and that's why they have these things called monasteries. What's a monastery? A monastery is fundamentally a place that you escape life. You know, you go upstairs to the mountain, wherever it's located, and you meditate, you do whatever you do, and so on and so forth. But fundamentally, it's a way to avoid or to escape life. Judaism, on the contrary, all the mitzvahs force you to interact with life. Why? Because if you have to dematerialize the universe or the world, you need to interact with the world. The trick isn't to escape. What Judaism demands isn't an escape from life, right? It's to channel life and to dematerialize it. To take that the spiritual from the material. 
take out the spiritual from distill the, the, the well you, you could you, yeah you could say it that way but distill what we, the, the the materialism into a spirituality wait wait yeah. it's to transform the materialism <clears throat> the like we say, yeah, I'm not using that expression. That's why we're it was in more detail, so we can go through it again. Yeah, yeah well, but the, 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 the thing is to change or to transform a physical universe into a spiritual one. That's fundamentally, you know, how, how you look at it. And therefore, what's necessary is a mitzvah, okay, interacts with the physical world. All the mitzvahs, you know, if you look at Shas, you know, the Sedarm of, 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 of mitzvahs and so on, you know, this Roim, it forces us to interact, that if you are a farmer and you have Truma, Meisters and so on, you need to do the mitzvah, and therefore you change the physical world in that aspect into a spiritual one. Moed, all the mitzvahs force you to interact with the world, but what they do is they restrict you, they limit you, or they... Uh, they uh, uh, they force you to perform a physical act with a specific guideline. You see, so if you do that, then you interact with the physical world through the guidelines of the mitzvah, and if you change the physical world ultimately into a spiritual one, that's why Judaism is all about the world, not about monasteries. That's a classic difference. And of course, in the interaction itself, you have to avoid uh, corrupting it, and that's the Yitzhahara, where you can corrupt that what you do at a physical level in a wrong way. So that's the concept where the Sutton wants you to interact with the physical world, you know, but for yourself and in the wrong way as opposed to the mitzvah. But Judaism is very much concerned with the physical world, which is different than many other religions. They are concerned, like I said, with getting away, Judaism is getting into and, and so on. Very big difference. When you talk about the Ur, are you referring to the Ur Gunners? No, I'm talking about the Ur of the Spheres. The Ur Gunners is different. The Ur of the Spheres that you bring down and you uh, de uh, 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 dematerialize the universe, which is something I mentioned last week. So this, anyway. this is really different. Rabbi said, told me one time that uh, there is routine. Every, all the other tzaddikim before Avram and Avram himself. Yeah. What about it? Something that the Mashiach had Saba, but could this also be a difference that he was the one to actually go out and make and spread Kavod Shemayim, whereas everybody else was locked in the Well, actually, in this parsha, the reason why I like them, but I, the reason why Avram Avinu was chosen not because he was a tzaddik. I mean, he had lots of yet tzaddikim in those days. He had Mr. <coughs> Shalach, you know, Shem Be'ev and so on. He was chosen because the Russian knew that he would pass down the heritage of mitzvahs. So could it be since he was also in, in his whole, could also be that his whole mission in life was to spread the Kavot Shemayim, and that's essentially what, that's, that instead that, of being locked away in That's certainly, I would use, that was certainly his emphasis. Yeah. So is that included in the Mayan Sabbath? Yeah, oh yeah, sure. Because Bonham, Tamidim are like Bonham. So that would be included. Was, it's not just your children, it's mankind too. Yeah, I certainly would include that. So. You know, it's to get it out, as right. they say, to promote, right. to publicize, and so on, uh, the whole concept. In any case, so the main idea um, then is um, to do the mitzvahs for the zikuch and so on, you know. Uh, but, as I said, if you do a chet, then the or doesn't go to you, the or goes to the son. That's a tremendous balance. 
that we have to be concerned with and so on. So either the ore is coming to us as a result of our uh, mitzvahs, or the ore is going to him as a result of our sins. And therefore the job becomes twofold. The job is no longer bring down ore, or the enormous of the divine kedushal energy, right? Uh, the job is also to take away from the sultan that which we've given him. You need to get rid of it, and therefore, uh, and that's what, by the way, energizes the sultan. What energizes the sultan is the fact that he has the ore of our bears. When you do children, you de-energize him? Wait, that's what I'm going to talk about. Now, the question is then, well, what do we do? We have two jobs, okay? And how do we do the first or the second? Well, the first job, which is to bring down ore, okay, is to mitzvahs. Do the mitzvahs, you bring down the ore. And doing the mitzvahs depends on a lot of things. The act, the mind, the intent, right? There's certain components that go into a mitzvah, which is very important. There's the act itself, which is visible. Then there's the intent of the person, his kavono, his focus, and so on. That's not observable. That's part of the mitzvah, which means that also determines how the quality of that mitzvah, and therefore the amount of ore. But there's also a third aspect, by the way, which is certainly unobservable, but it's probably greater. Anybody know what that is? When you do a mitzvah, like I said, there's the act itself, there's the state of mind as you're doing the act. Then there's a third component, <coughs> which is even greater. Anybody can figure that out? Like, and it's not observable. Even to the person actually doing the mitzvah. The kedusha of the person? No, well, no, no. <coughs> I mean, his status, Kedusha's status. Well, no, that would enable his Kavona. Yeah, you know, that kicks in the Kavona. No. It's an interesting idea. You know what it is? Chazal say, in fact, it's in Brokos. The Fumtsaro Agro. What does that mean? The Fumtsaro, according to the effort or the pain, Tsaro. Agro is reward. What does that mean? What does the Fumtsaro Agro really mean? According to the pain, the effort, Shtadros, is the reward. Is what? Morzikoch. Is the reward, which is Morzikoch. What's that called? What gives a, when something gives a person tremendous sar, difficulty, really. Yes, sir. Who? Yes, sir. No, no, no. And you still do the mitzvah. Give me an example. You live two miles from the shore, right? And it's cold outside, and it's snowing, right? And all of a sudden, 6.30, the alarm rings, and uh, you know, you say, well, am I going to get up a minion, you know? Uh, let's say you can't use your car because the snow is two feet high, right? So you're going to use a car. Um, and all of a sudden... It's called a challenge. It's serious snapfish. He got it. It's called a serious snapfish, exactly. So you're taking away from your materialism by giving Get away. the consequences. Let's just understand. Wow. <laughs> That's the serious snapfish. Messias Nefesh is an intangible. Go, go measure it. Messias Nefesh means self-sacrifice. What are you giving up? What do you have to contend with that's painful to do this mitzvah? That's an intangible. And the guy himself doesn't really know. Maybe I can get a feel of that. But Messias Nefesh is part of the reward. In this case, with Zikuch, but ultimately be the reward of Habo. It's probably part of it. And not only that, Contra Chazal, the Fumsara Agro, it's the greatest determinant. What are you giving up to do a mitzvah? That will determine much more how much reward you get 
than the other two, which is the act and the intent. Interesting. So there are three major components in doing a mitzvah that determine the quality, the zikuch, the dematerialization, and ultimately, of course, the reward no yom Interesting idea. Does anybody know why? Why would Messias Nefesh be so important? Because <coughs> you're dematerializing no. more. No, 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 that's the consequence. Why? Dimension one people. Why is it, if you're Moisa Nefesh, self-sacrifice, the greater the self-sacrifice, the more reward no yom Why? Total middle. Of what? Ego. Of Yudhishama to the Rebbein Shambhak. Or... Because you're completely saying that I'm, I don't exist. I'm just whatever. And wh- how are you saying that? Diminishing ego. Who? Diminishing ego. Yeah, both of you are really saying it, but... But diminishing your material is the right the by being my No, no, it's not the Kashmir's, no. What's the problem here? Okay, what is the, what's the conflict, really? In every mitzvah, what's the conflict, really? Who? I mean, you never bombs, never No, 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 that, that's fancy <laughs> stuff. Me or We're not up to that fancy stuff yet. No, 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 me or him. That's too simple. Me or him. Who's me? Me. Myself. Who's him? God. Oh, God. It's that the, the conflict of everything you do, especially when it's a mitzvah, right? Who dominates? Whose will is the real will? Therefore, who is? Do I exist independent of God if I can do whatever I want? Or it's he, Every conflict of mitzvah, every mitzvah creates that conflict. Whose will is primary? Wins. You see? So when you do the mitzvah, what are you really doing? Not only are you testifying his will, therefore he is supreme, but you're also saying at the same time, I am subservient or nothing. So therefore, right, what is the indicator or in what way can a person prove that he is everything and I am nothing? What's the greatest way of demonstrating that? And the answer is? Messias Nefesh. Messias Nefesh. That's one. You see, because Messias Nefesh, the greater the effort or the difficulty of doing a mitzvah, the greater is the statement of, you're it, and I'm zero. And the reward is probably on, 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 on what you feel about yourself and what you say about him. Right? And that's the media connected media. To the extent that you say he is everything, you will be massive that Noidam Abba. You will get that. <clears throat> Therefore, Messiah Snefesh is the real contest. You see, it's the real battle that you have to do. You see? And that's way. why it's the greatest reward. Because the reward itself is Hasogas Ichudoi, or to experience God. So the greater you deny your own <coughs> self, the greater you will experience the self, the God self, so to speak, you see? And Messias Nefesh is the way you actually demonstrate that. But, but you should still want to preserve the goof to the whatever extent possible. Yeah, no, I'm not saying no. No, I'm just saying, why is Messias Nefesh such, why is that the greatest determinant of reward? And the answer is, since reward is the Eino is to experience God, 
the greatest way to experience God, right, is to deny, is to, it comes from the greatest denial of self. Who was Moshe? Worth. Moshe Rabbeinu? He was a bit of whatever himself, completely. Yes, he was. But that was called the Nefesh, wouldn't he? No, no. Moshe Rabbeinu's understanding of the Rabbanisham came from the Hasoga of being a Novi. You know, if you're a Novi and, you, and God talks to you, you immediately know what the truth is. You're zero. You feel you're zero. So you don't need Messias Nefesh in that case? You do. Moshe Rabbeinu's Messias Nefesh was the first eight years. Yeah. <laughs> It's only after 80 that he really got, life began. So we're not talking about serious of death, but we're saying serious nefesh of, of, on, on, on a mental basis. Yeah. That's still serious nefesh. I'm sorry, okay. You yeah. wake yeah. up in the but morning when you know, you're very tired and it's cold, that's serious nefesh. But, but by much of being to remain, yeah. Yeah, to remain who nefesh. you were at 80, <laughs> to remain who you were at 80 years old, <laughs> and and remain what? Sure. Unbelievable serious nefesh. <laughs> To be among the gods. Avram Avinu, he was Shlashal Avila. Wait, 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 wait. No. Anyway, to remain that way is the greatest Messiah's Nefesh. But anyway. Wait, I want to go on. Uh, anyway, I'm just trying to give you a feel of some of the vital elements in, 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 in doing the Avrit and so on, you know. Um, Okay, so the question then is, how do we take out the stuff from the satan? So mitzvah brings down the awe. The way you take it out of the satan is through two other ways. Tshuva. Tshuva, when you repent or undo, essentially, you can take it out of the hands of the satan. And the second of that is yisurim. When you suffer, the satan also depleted. When you suffer also. So you have three avoiders. Mitzvah, tshuva, and yisurim. All three ultimately will bring ore, just that they bring ore from different directions. Tshuva is separate than mitzvahs. Yes, yeah, tshuva is you did a sin, and now you have to do tshuva. Maybe it is a mitzvah. What? It is a mitzvah. It is it a mitzvah. Yes, it happens to be a mitzvah, yes. But it's different than all other mitzvahs, because it always comes after a chet. And right? also can turn and around the Avera into a mitzvah. Well, we, I, 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 yeah, yeah. becomes a mitzvah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to the actual description of what Shuvah does and so on, but uh, that's that's what basically Shuvah does. What the Therefore, does, what? Part of what the Sultan does is to bring pain and destruction. When he does that to the world, people, countries, does he lessen his own uh, power in creating pain and suffering? Well, it dep- in, in a certain sense, yes. In a certain sense, yes. Yeah, yeah. But the gain by that is if he makes give suffering to a person, that my person may say, well, why am I suffering? You know, God's unfair, and then I'm going to do mochat to him. He has a trade-off here. You know, he's hoping that... He's investing his... Uh, yeah, he's hoping his that... Fire uh, into mora, into <coughs> mora. They get angry. Well, he's hoping that the he's payoff... He's hoping that the payoff will be mora. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay. uh, so that's... Uh, so you have that. Now, if that's the case, there's something very important to know. I had mentioned that we have Tiferes and Oiz. We have beauty and might, Gvura, Oiz, 
which translates as Tiferes is beauty in the sense of insight, chokhmah, tremendous wisdom, know-how. That's Tiferes. And Oiz is uh, strength, might, or hatzlocha, the ability to do. Now, we have it, so when Klai Yisrael is doing mitzvahs, so they will have Tiferes and Oiz. When they do the Averis, and then the Sultan has it, he will get the Tiferes and Oiz. So it, it's not interesting. You can actually see who's winning by who's got the Tiferes and Oiz. Isn't that interesting? It becomes a barometer. Take a look at who's got the Tiferes and Oiz, and do you know, either we've done all the sins, we've done too many sinning, right, and he's got majority, or we've done so many mitzvahs, we've got it. So if that's the case, you begin to realize certain things. There are two modes in terms of, there are two methods that can do the tikkun in a certain sense, you know. And the Rabbanshim had to arrange this. If you do mitzvahs, you will do the tikkun by bringing down the all through the mitzvahs, right? But what happens if you don't do mitzvahs? What happens if you do sinning a majority of the time? Then you also have to do the tikkun. Same thing. You see, by Rishon, when he sinned, or before he sinned, so his job is to do the tikkun, how? By doing the mitzvahs. But what happens if Adam sins, which is what he did? There has to be a way to do the tikkun through sinning, in the sense of Yisurin. There has to be a way. And that's what happened. There's method A and method B. So method A is when Klai Yisrael is in a situation where they're primarily doing mitzvahs. Therefore, they have the first views. And you'll notice that was when? That was from the time of Avraham Avinu. He had the first noise. Kings used to come over to me. They wanted to marry into his family. You, know, you see that Hogga. Hogga was an Egyptian princess. You know, it's interesting, you know. And uh, it was better to, as to be a slave in the house of Avraham than to be a queen, which is incredible when you think about that. You know, and you find that this concept of first noise that the Jews had this, Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, you know what I'm saying? And certainly they, they lost it to a certain extent by uh, Mitzrayim, but then they gained it, you know, by Yeshua, then you had the Shlomo Melech. The Kaisa was on the ups until the destruction of the first place of Mikdash. That's when you begin to see that the first noise switched. And we have been losing it since then. And we regained that to the Second World War a little bit, no? Second World War? Yeah. To my now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's a good point, which we'll you know, just hold up to that point, yeah. But you can actually look at, well, with, which method are we primarily yeah, in? By Shaftim, it was going back and forth. You know, we're going, we're you know, being captured by foreign Arab or whoever it was, and then they, the Shaftim came and rescued them back and forth. The Shekhinah was going back and forth? No. no, the fact that we have wars isn't an indication it's the status of the civilization they were subjugated from time to time. Well, you, you had, yeah, so you, you had a back and forth, but it wasn't as devastating. Golis is the ultimate. The Golis, the persecutions, the inquisitions, the crusades, I mean, that's what Ferris and is, is in the hands of the Goyim. You know, and that, because we, you know, we have been continuously subjected to their might and their beauty, civilization, and so on. That already means that the first noise primarily is in that, and therefore we have to do the deacon to a method B as opposed to method A. You know, but you know, so as long as it's back and forth, that's one thing. 
but we're, we're, we've been running for the last 2,000 years that we're not, we're not talking here anymore about first noise in our hands. We're not talking about first noise in the hands of Goya. See, so it comes out that first noise who has this really is a result of well, what's the method? So if we do the mitzvahs, we bring the ore down, we're going to have the first noise. If we're not doing that method, we're doing method B, which is to do what? Which is, we're sinning, and therefore the only way we can get this back is basically choose like Yisur, so we're to method B, we won't have the first oils. So by looking where the first oils is, you can actually see which method is primary. And clearly for the last 2,000 years, or for the last 2,500 years, that first and oils has been in the hands of the goyim. Primarily. And we have been in ghosts. Just levels. The base What's that? <coughs> just having the base of the is not an indicator it's very smooth? Well, to a certain extent it is, but it's already diminishing. Because in the second base of Mikdash, you didn't have already, you didn't have the orange. It's already beginning to lose. At the, 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 the time of the first base, when they had all those things, then it was clerked first noise. Yeah, oh yeah. Probably one of the greatest pieces of first noise was Shlomo Melech, you know, he was like uh, everybody, you know, he was king, he had a thousand, you know, seven hundred wives, you know, and they were all to ally himself with other kings and all that, whatever, no. So the Tukuf of Shlomo Melech and so on, this was, well, it continued, no, no, it continued, you know, when Jews had a kingdom, Jews, no, but when Jews had a kingdom, we had first realized, yeah, we'd always be warring with other nations and so on. Jews had a war with themselves. That was the apex of the of the yeah. first yeah. So the first more or less thousand years, the Jews were had the first viewers back and forth. It's only with the Chubai Shani that's when the whole thing just fell apart, and they just they took the first viewers. Then you had the major religions of Christianity and Islam and so on, and the Jews then were just callous again and again, all kinds of persecutions and all that. That was the beginning of the end of the first. In the, the, the primary first viewers, you see. So therefore, the teaching proceeds one of two ways, and based on the first noise, which is what you get when you have the or, this is what you see. So therefore, we begin to see that there are two fundamental uh, stages of Klai Yisrael. When they have the first viewers, mainly doing the mitzvahs, so they bring down the or. When they don't have the first viewers, Satan's got it. Persecutions and exile, crusades and Holocaust and all the kinds. According stuff. to what you're saying, the time of Gullus where the persecutions are more uh, extreme. Yeah. It, it, there's more tikkun getting done. So, well, it, it, looking at the broader perspective, the Holocaust was a better time than we are in. No, I would say no. I certainly would say it's better. I mean, there's more tikkun, more yisurim. If Plan B is going to full force. The reason why there's more yisurim is because there's more sins that you got to collect, that you got to make up for. I wouldn't call that better. It's much more sins that Kalei have done. I mean, the Holocaust is one of the greatest indicators that Kalei must have had an unbelievable amount of chatoim, you know, to, to justify that type of Yisrael, you know. I mean, part of the idea, which unfortunately people have noted this, you know, uh, probably I would venture a guess, I would venture a guess that the, the substantial reason for the Holocaust in terms of the fact that the first and always is in the hands of the sultan. I mean, remember, that's the barometer, right? And the fact that the sultan has most, he's unique, enormous amount of Kiddushah. Then we look at that, therefore, Klai Yisrael has a Yisrael, 
right? I would say the primary reason why the Holocaust was so devastating is the results of the reformed movement. Yeah. These guys have been going on since Mendelssohn, you know, and they have removed uh, the, the reform movement in, in the East, in Western Europe, and, the cons and that concern, that's an American movement. And the Haskolo, the Haskolo, which is basically Russia, and the East and so on, they were absolutely devastating to Europe. What they did is they took Jews, I mean, the, who was how many, hundreds of thousands of years became reformed, or Maskilim, and so on. You know. That was a tremendous movement. And I would venture to say that the amount of Chatoim, I would venture to say that the amount of sins that were added in that time was enormous. Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason for the Holocaust. I believe the, one of the primary ideas of the Holocaust, I mean, there are many ways of thinking about it, is that um, to undo an enormous amount of awe that the Sultan had, not just because of the last two, three hundred years, but for the last two thousand years. It's like we need to balance the books. Because when the Mashiach is very close, we need to balance the books. We need to get rid of all the complaints, you know, against the Jews, which is the Chatoim and all the Kippurim. You know, and we're looking at two, we're looking at two thousand years of complaints, you know, that has to be. So before Mashiach comes, that has to be balanced. So probably the Holocaust was one of the greatest events in history that would balance the books, what we would actually call accelerate the process of Kapora, to accelerate the process of Kapora and, and, and Oynish, really accelerate it. That's why what was done by the Holocaust from 1939 to 1945, six years, it's probably more, more Yisurim, more evil that was done in those six years than perhaps in 1,000 years of Jewish history. And the reason why is the Russian wants to accelerate the process. He wants to balance the books and get rid of a lot of stuff that the Jews were indebted to and so on to, you know. So, so that's so why you had the Holocaust. Can you say that's one of the reasons. There are others. Can you say some people were hey. sacrificed? For example, it's like a communal kapara in that if someone was killed in the Holocaust, and then someone survived, you can't say the one who survived had greater merits. No. So some people could be picked at random and they may be righteous. No, it's not a matter of part of this national... No, I, it's, it's not a matter of random. It's not random. But the, like the Gemara says in Baba Kama, that when there's a tremendous ketrudum, that even tzaddik is taken away before. That's why it's interesting. You find many tzaddikim died in the 30s. Chavitz Chaim, there's a lot of tzaddikim that were gone already in the 30s, because the Russian didn't want them to see, and so on. But Rukhana one of the ideas... In the, in the 40s. Who? The Nazis. Yeah, during the Yeah, during the Yeah, but the early part of it. On the Whatever. They're both Yeah, they, they, yeah, they died in the 30s. But you're saying that the people who were left there for the house benefited, we benefit by their Yisurim. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, when well, Zadik dies, there's a tremendous kapara. Is that this I believe that's why we have uh, a couple of tzaddikim done just recently. Rabbi Yashu was last year, Rabbi Vadi was here this year. I believe the reason why they died is to take Christ or what's about to happen. It's about to happen. It's not good. And these people, by their death, we know that because we see that kapara is
But I want to just mention as an agar, the only one since we're talking about the Holocaust. So one of the ideas of Holocaust, again, remember it's method B, that first and Oiz is not in our hands, so we experience a tremendous amount of Yisurin and Golis and so on, right? And uh, a lot of, uh, I'm saying the first idea behind that was the concept of uh, accelerating the process, to get rid of all the claims against the Jews, all the Chatoim and so on. So what the Moshe did is he just, he just did it and said, okay, six years. And that, that was, was an unbelievably intense, gullous, Yisurin period of time. Yeah. But that's, that's only one thing that was accomplished. I mentioned one more. Go on. <coughs> the second thing that was accomplished, that before the Mashiach comes, there has to be an incredible chusha, darkness. In fact, you see that from the uh, second passage in Chomish, where it says, And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Right? But what was all on top of the face of the waters? And the answer is Choshech, because there was no oil yet. So the Balatun has a gematria, that Ruach HaLakim HaChefes, gematria, Zuhi Ruchei Shul Melech HaMashiach. This is gematria, you know? And uh, what that means is that uh, if it's method B, which is, remember, first noise about a sultan, he's got the ore, we got to take it back, and so on. Then the Mashiach will come in the midst of incredible darkness, which is absence, absence of Ruchmias. That's where it says that there will be an incredible hunger, thirst, and it's not for Mayim or for food, it's for the Hashem. And we live in that time. So how do you create, how do you create this darkness? Why do you need the darkness? Wait, how do you create it? The answer is, you take out clients from Because every Jewish neshama is an unbelievable awe, right? And we know, me at awe, if you walk into a dark room, you walk in with a uh, candle. It takes away a lot of the darkness. It's for the amount of light coming out of a little candle in a dark room. It's way out of proportion to the amount of light that it, that it lends to the room. So therefore, every Jewish neshama is a sakana for or. It's interesting, you know? So therefore, the Bansham said, listen, Mashiach is going to come soon. i got to make this place dark without going into why, right? And as a result of that, i got to take out the Jews. So it's not just six million Jews that died. It's six million Jews of the cream, you know, of the cream of Jewry. Or you're talking about, you know, the, the, the even the, the Western Europe, part of Torah Eastern Center. Europe and so on. The Torah centers, they're just wiped out, you know. The Gedoyim, the Sadiqim. So what the Bansham did, which is interesting, normally you would see a deterioration of Ruchnius. 500 years. Tanoim, the period of Tanoim was what? 300 years? Then you had the period of Amaroim. You know, you had the Zugas and so on, Tanoim. Amaroim lasted 300 years, 350, right? Then you had the Rabbon and Svoiroim. These are all different Kufas. Then you had the Goinim lasted a couple hundred years. Yishoinim was a couple hundred years, right? And now we're in the period of the Achreinim over the Achreinim. And so on, you know? You, you notice that in order for you to distinguish the, the, the the diminishment or the descent of 
Ruchnius, it's 400 years. But if you take a look, the difference between the Holocaust, before the Holocaust, the level of Ruchnius, and after the Holocaust today, it's staggering. So what the Russian did, but that's what the acceleration is, he decreased the amount of awe in six years, what it should have taken 500 years. You know, it's the natural evolution of the diminishment of oil. Why is that necessary? Would have taken hundreds of years, and the way the Bansham did it so rapidly was the Holocaust. So that's, that's an idea number two, is that the Mashiach has to come in the midst of unbelievable or, um, darkness. No? And the, therefore the Holocaust served that purpose. There's no other way of Mashiach to come. Wait, no, there, no, there is. The mitzvahs. That's a concept of either Ein Ben David Bo what either the Chayyimah you know or or Kulum Zakon yeah so method B is Kulum Chayyim that's what I'm saying there's two ways to do the Tikkun there are two ways that the Mashiach comes it's either method A right or method B method A by the way is also Anhogas Mishpat it's also the Anhogas Mishpat where the Bosheim responds. Justice. Then there's another sayichot, which I didn't talk much about, which is that the, the, the way the Russian behaves to the Bria is totally mysterious. There's no rhyme or reason, which I'll mention and so on, you know. But in any case, we are now in a tkufa of incredible darkness. The tferis and oiz of mankind is beyond our understanding how little Jews really have, although now it seems to be getting more and more, right? So um, what the Holocaust did, uh, again, a second primary idea, was it not only accelerated the process, but created what should have taken hundreds of years, because that's how long it takes for you to see the diminishment of ore, of, of, of stature, of uh, ruchnius, And it happened in six years. The difference between us now, before the war, I mean, you know, this, it's, and now it's much worse. With the, with the deceasement, the, the, the death of many Kedoyim in the last 10 years. It's Shreplach what's going on. You look around and say, excuse me, who's, who's around anymore? And what, what's around anymore in, in, in all areas of Yiddishkeit? And that's what happens in the end. That the darkness, Ramchal has a, a, a way of saying, that before the Mashiach comes, the uh, blinds, the windows, which is the blinds will be shut Mamish down to the, where you ever see, imagine you have a window that's painted black, and you shut it down, and you don't see anything, and you leave just a little open. Makes a, the thin, a, thin, yeah, a thin strip of light that's left, you know? That's what happens before Mashiach comes. It's ad If that window's shut, the bree is over. It's gone. Everything's annihilated. So what's left is that little thin stream of light and within that darkness, uh, the Mashiach will come. So the whole course was able to, uh, to do that. But in any case, so we have that, that uh, what we begin to see is that the concept of who has the Tferis and Oiz is a barometer at what method is being employed to bring the Tikkun, and where does Christ so stand? Where does the Satan stand vis-a-vis -vis that? It's an important idea, and so on, you know? Um, when you see the concept of first noise, are you smoking? No, it's an e-cigarette. Oh, okay. I just, <laughs> an e-cigarette? What is that? 
Vapor. Vapor. It's water vapor. It's water vapor. It's not vapor. It's not nicotine and all that stuff. No, there's nicotine in it, but. No, it's no, it's only nicotine. You don't have secondhand. There's no secondhand. There's no secondhand. There is some things. This just came out with it. Yeah, I know what brands you have, but they're not so big on those anymore. Unless someone's trying to quit. Now there's an alternative. Oh, but oh, you mean there is nicotine? There's nicotine. Sorry, I have to ask you to put it out. What? I'll stop my pleasure. Yeah, I'm sorry. Anyway, we opened Yeshiva today. That we opened Yeshiva from Tzadik. More people are running. Well, let me tell you what method B produces. Okay, what does it produce, you know? <clears throat> there are three components. When the Jews go into the Klippa, as they say, where they go, you know, and where they go into the, uh, um, where the Tresa and is taken away from them, then certain things happen, you know. One, the Tresa and Ois goes to the Goyim. So the Goyim themselves become the greatest Ma'akvim the greatest intruders or people who destroy, annihilate the ability of a person to reform and so on. And, and By the way, anybody know what Golas really means vis-a-vis -vis the individual? <coughs> what, is, what does it mean to be Golas, really? To be controlled, under control of the... To be controlled, mm -hmm. that's certainly true, but that's... No. There's something more profound. Well, natural from your... Well, that's, yeah, that's true. That's not what it means. Well, that's, you just said that in different words. What does it mean to be, to be in Golas? Well, what's the def what's the um, the defining moment of being in Golas? It's true. <coughs> to be under the uh, jurisdiction, the control of others. No question about that. Separate. Subjugation. It's all the same word. You know. Cut off from Disconnecting. Not being your full potential. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting. What? Not being able to be who you are. Very good. That's what it is. What goalless really is, and of course it's brought about by other control. What it means to be goalless means that whatever your potential is, too bad. It means that you can't be who you really can be. And even what you are, it comes with enormous struggle. Of course that comes about, or the mechanism that is used to inhibit your growth is the fact that you're under the control of others. Of course, you know, we, that's what we think of Golas, you know, subjugation or whatever. And that's what I always see. But that's not what Golas is. The primary concept of Golas is that you cannot be what you can be. You know, I, I, there's an army advertisement, you ever see? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, what, the, what the army advertises? Yeah, it's a Gavaldi concept. <coughs> be what you can be. Well, does that mean you got to join the army for this, right? What? Israeli army? No, American army. Be what you can be. Most people go through their whole lives. How many people are what they really are? What they could have been? Maybe 1% of mankind does it. 99% of mankind never makes it. You know, but the concept of Golas is terrible because it means in many ways that no matter how much you struggle, you can't be all you can be. There's an incredible impediment and basically it's the, the, the um, you know, the Goyim, it's certainly an unbelievable impediment because they got, they're killing Jews and they're, they don't allow Jews to daven mitzvahs, Greeks, 
You can't do Mila, Torah, Mila. It's beyond belief what these guys have done. You know? So you could do it, but there's an unbelievable difficulty in doing it. But that's the, as far as I'm concerned, the true meaning of Golas is the inability to be, to achieve a Ruchnistic state that you could really achieve had you not had all these incredible impediments, you know, and so on. That's what goes in the end really is. And, and so on. and that's really, so to have Tferes and Ois isn't just a gift to have might, you know, it's really that which you need to do what you can do. You need Chochmah, you need Hatzlochah, and then you can be successful. If you don't have Tferes and Ois, if, if they're given to Goyim, you can't be what you can be. You just don't have the wherewithal to do it. A very important concept. We did this here at first in Oiz, which is the, like I said, Oiti Yisrael B'Sephora, Oiti Yisrael B'Gvura, right? In the Brochus in the morning, that's the only time that the Brochus used the word Yisrael. is critical, necessary, because that allows you to be Ruchni. That's why the Bajan gives it to us. He wants to give us the ability to access Chochmah, and to access Hatzlacha. Then, okay, you have to want to do it, fine. But if you want to do it, no problem. But when we don't have that first noise, watch out. We can't be what we can be. And if we achieve some level, it's with unbelievable difficulty. It's the first noise restricted. Which, by the way, requires greater Messiah Snefesh, and Messiah Snefesh is one of the things that Determine the amount of of reward in the Mahabha, in serious nefesh, which we just This is very restricted to people who are Shaymatari Mitzvahs and someone who's not Shaymatari Mitzvahs, that he can have Tveras and Ois, but, but it's not the Tveras and that we need. You, you have a, a Nobel laureate, you know, a Friday guy. Yeah, that's a, yeah three uh, chemistry, this three Jews. I'm saying, so that, but that's Tveras and Ois. Yeah, right? sure, of course. But that's not Tveras and Ois that's going to bring it. It's almost like having a, a guy who's having the Torah's noise. They, that's exactly what they're having. Goyim, Western civilization is the first noise. It's exactly what it is. You want to experience it emotionally? <coughs> just walk down Fifth Avenue. Don't walk down Rechov Yafo. That's not the first noise. I'm sorry. You know. Imitation. Who? Imitation. Wannabes. Wannabes, right. <laughs> that's what it is, you know. You walk down Fifth Avenue. It's just beyond belief with that. Or you walk down the Champs-Élysées in Paris. When you walk down, what's the main street in London? I don't know what the main street you know, is. You walk around, walk around, it's wow, is it? You know, this is the first noise. It's not just, you know, it's, just, it's the, the, the level of sophistication. You know, it's like, you know, in fact, it's, it's funny. You know, I once gave a shear in a city, which is probably one of the greatest first noises of all. And I went to that city to give a Shabbaton. Okay. And, uh, you know, so the, the, so the place I gave it was like 10 miles from this place, you know, it's in the same city. And I had to go just to that city. What does it say? What does it say? But I, I went to do it because I had to see what is the first Vioyi's Biyatzor in the hands of the enemy. And of course, what's the name of the city? Las Vegas. I mean, you, you walk down what's called the Strip, you know? I mean, did you ever walk into a building that cost $2 billion? 
It's it's a building. It's like it two billion dollars. Yeah, it's a, it's the uh, the wind or oh, whatever you know. There's the Bellagio, the wind. I mean, those guys have been there. You know, it's just it's just it's beyond belief. The opulence, the wealth, the display, you know, the the, the display of of materialism is beyond belief. That's first choice. That's what it is. In what they want to be first choice, of course, that's not what we want. Our first choice is unbelievable majesty and terror. Sitkus, avoidance. If you're fry, fry, that's their first voice. Las Vegas is one of the greatest cities in the world that demonstrate that first voice is red line. New York City is another classic. I mean, these cities demonstrate unbelievable first voice. And so on. Anyway, I don't want to get too far involved with this, but. What does that have to do with the Shekhinah being? The Shekhinah is a vessel of first voice. The essential attributes of the Shekhinah. Is first noise. Ask yourself, what are the two major attributes that you need to do anything? Wisdom, reality. You need to know reality, A. And B, you have to interact with, interact with that reality to the extent that you want to. That's all it is. You've got to know what's out there and you might be able to do what you want to do. That's first, knowing, and doing is ice. Hatzlach is ice, exactly. You know, that's, that's it. The greatest first in Oiz of all is Shekhinah. Because the Shekhinah is reality, and it's got the Oiz. In fact, in this week's Pasha, by, by, uh, uh, by when he told um, um, Sarah, you can have a kid, right? She's 90 years old. So the Bosham said, You mean something that's too far from me? Or the classic, Is the hand of God short? What is that? That's Oiz. That's incredible. That's, that's omnipotence. Is is the is infinite Oiz, and Chokhmah, the bunch of is the reality. Chokhmah, what is wisdom? Well, what's you know, knowledge is nothing more than the apprehension of reality. That's all it is, and so on. You know, so we have those gifts from the bunch First, the Oiz. What he has, we have, because we're part of the Shechina. Our problem is we need that. Why? Because then we can become Ruchni. With the first and always, we can become Muchni. You don't have the first and always, you ain't going anywhere, as they say. And that's the contest. Who has it, really? You know? But in Golis, we can have the first and always also. No? We do have. It, 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 but Vagya Yosef and Yashif had the first and always. No? Even though they were in Golis. Ah, they certainly had first. Always? They had it in a certain sense, yes. In terms of individualistically, yes. But I'm talking about on a cultural level. Remember, there's first the always I'm an individual, and there's first the soul and cultural. It's two different levels, right? So individually, there are people that have first the always. There's no question about that. But on a national level, of the cloud, the robin, first the always, no way, and so on. You know, so you can have individuals that have it, yeah, but not on a national. And that's really where we need it, nationalistic. So therefore, the concept of, so Goyim, they're the classic inhibitors, right, of Ruchnius, Hatzlach and Ruchnius, which is incredible when you think about that. But that's what, that's what their job is. I, they say in every generation there's a designated Mashiach that may yes. be Well, it seems like, you know, we need a boost because if you look at all the Yidin, I'd say 1% only know about Torah and mitzvahs. How many know about Torah education and mitzvahs? 
And if you look at the Gashmias, even though we're less than 1% of the bigger population, the, the are, you Jewish, asking, are you asking a question? Yeah, I was just making a comment, though. The, the, our influence in Gashmias, Jews behind starting Las Vegas and the networks and the yeah, well, movies, how, we, how is one person, what are, we, what are the uh, Torah observant Jews? What percentage of all Yidden? How are we supposed to uh, uh, accumulate enough for the whole Claudius ruling? Because we're not all on the same page. No, there are individuals, like I say. Like individually, there are differences. But on a national level, we don't have the first place. Even if you remove the other nations and just look at Yidden, we have people like, oh, those are religious people, they're fanatics, and we don't wear Tehillis, and that group's the next thing to Christianity. Well, that's, that's different. You're bringing in other stuff, you know. I'm just trying to stick to a theme so far, you know. But uh, anyway, so the first inhibitors, the great inhibitors, are the Goyim. Who's the second great inhibitors? Erevrav. Very good, Erevrav. They stop us. You take a look what's going on in Israel. Those guys, and they're the heir of Raf, obviously, and so on, you know. Uh, we all know who that means, the government of Israel and so on, you know. They want to send guys to the draft. I mean, that's the end of it, take away money. I mean, we're not going into the arguments. That's the classic uh, inhibitors of Tresviyas. So the heir of Rav, you know, these are one of the great, and those are Jews doing it to Jews, right? That's the second emissary of the Sultan to destroy the first Reoyes, or rather to destroy the ability of Klein's realm. There's a third, which I am not going to talk about, other than just mention it. It's very hard to believe, because it's a Zoya. There's the air of Rav, Rabba, and the air of Rav, Zira, the small air of Rav. That's very interesting. There's a small air of Rav, that's not the Rabba, you know, they're not the Friar guys. There's Erevram, Zira, and those are religious Jews. Yes. There are religious Jews that inhibit the growth of Kleinsville. You know, and so on, without getting into what? And, and so on. So, so. Well, I don't, you know, there, there's, in many ways, Sinaschinim is one of the classics that they manifest. There are many from Eden, unfortunately, that destroy Kleinsville because they have power. First realize they actually have that, you know, and, and they destroy because of enormous sinners for them. That's the whole contest between groups of Jews. Well, you're not this and you're not that, I'm sorry, you're not a... I don't want to get into the whole thing because that, that's very controversial, obviously, and so on. But there's a lot of, unfortunately, from Eden that are really, you know, they're great inhibitors. They're called the heir of Rav Zeira, the little heir of Rav, you know. But they are part of that mix that uh, inhibit clients from because of sinas chinim, and there's a lot of that stuff now. So Zohar said and that you said? I think so. It's Arab uh, zero. It identifies so, uh, the uh, yeah. What is yeah, that? They identifies from Jews as Arab zero. Yeah, yeah. Like somebody once said, showed me. I didn't see it, but he said that there's uh, the sons of Rov, sons of you know, that one of the hashmatos in the back of his safe or whatever that actually says that a lot of people that we would never believe Mamasha Erevrav people, we swear to Fruma, Fruma people, that the Mamasha Erevrav, he says, in his day, look at some 150 years ago, forget today, forget it, you know, <coughs> but I'm going into who, what, where, and why. How can we identify that? Well, 
I am not going to do anything beyond what I just said. Let's go get them. But, but, but the main, <laughs> let's go on. Let's go get them. <laughs> but let me ask you. You want to get under the radar here. Can a person honestly say, but I can just tell you one of the major weapons that they use, which has always been that way with Kleinsville, is Sinas There's an enormous amount of, I, I, I don't know if I'd call it hatred. I don't know if I'd use that word. It's a very strong term. But Sunni arrogance, where I'm somebody special, and who are you? Because you don't measure up to my standard or whatever, and so on. So as a result of that, they do a lot of acts that clearly inhibit a lot of people from growing ruchness. They're part of the Arab Rav. Except they're called the Arab Rav Zira, the smaller one, and so on. That's, that's what I want to talk about with them. Well, are they a club? I mean, every, every, every person, every person, anybody say he's never had sincere? No, it's not. I mean, the, the people have to work. I, 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 I think he's talking about you know the chronic. No. So, the Arab well, Rav Zira. Well, let me ask something. Who? We know who the, the who's the Arab Rav? Is it the reformed? Is it the people who are reformed Jews? No. People are reformed. Shh, people are reformed Jews or conservative or reconstructionist Jews or secular Jews. They're not Arab Rav. It's the leaders who are the Arab Rav. Well, what does the people know? They don't know. What do they know? They're sheep led to the slaughter. So, you know, it is the leaders who either are backed by a crazy ideology or the sinas chinam or arrogance, pure guidance and so on. They are the Arab Rav. So obviously everybody has sinas chinam, you know? I mean, in, a certain, in different levels of it, you know, you don't like this guy, you don't like that. Whatever it is, you know? But uh, you're not, you, you, you don't join that club because, well, you know, big deal, what can you do? But it's when you're able to seriously intervene and what he called inhibit growth of Ruchnius by many Yidin because of whatever you have, sin or arrogance or geos or whatever and so on and so forth, that's an Erev Rav. That's what they are. <coughs> so, you know, these Kaiser is not Erev Rav. It is the leaders that are Erev Rav. But anyway, <coughs> I'm going to get more into that. But anyway, now, what happens in a period? What happens in a period of Method B, which is first we always in the Goyim, then you have the Goyim, the Erev Rav and so on. Well, what happens? You know, what, what's our understanding in many ways of the Rabbanishnah, which is itself very interesting, you know? So the first thing is that the tikkun that the Rabbanishnah has to perform in that kufa is irrational. The Rabbanishnah looks like he's irrational. And therefore, you maharev this mitis. See, this doesn't make any sense. In fact, today is the classic. Today is the classic uh, story, and that's really why it happened of the Bershom presenting themselves, himself as irrational. You know what irrationality is? To be irrational means something which is mutually exclusive. You know, something cannot be A and B at the same time. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, you know, there are certain laws of uh, what's called transcendental being. You know, uh, something cannot be A and not A at the same time. It's impossible, that's irrational. You know, it can't be night and day at the same time, and so on, you know. That's called irrational. And in today's Pasha, we had the classic Nisoyan of the Bershom appearing as an irrational god. 
Anybody know what I'm referring to? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Why was it irrational? Koi Yezarecha. Koi Yezarecha. Meaning he's going to have descendants. Well, be Yitzchak. Be Yitzchak. Be Yeah. Yeah. Here the Rosh tells him, well, right? Forget it. Don't worry about Yishmael. Right? So, okay, throw a guy out. Right? Uh, but because be Yitzchak. I mean, that's not why you have to throw Yishmael out. Because Yitzchak. No. But obviously, if he stops him from being Yezera, you got to throw him out. Right? So wait a minute, this makes no sense. It's impossible, why? Because the Bosham says on one side, that you will have descendants and there will be Yitzhak. And the other side, he says, bring them up for Nehuda, shech them. That's impossible. And the Bosham will not do that. The Bosham cannot issue two commandments which are completely in, exclusive of each other. I mean, he can do whatever he wants, but he's not going to do that. So the question is, First question is, did he in fact do that? And the answer is, of course not. Because he never said to Shech Yitzhak. He said, Just bring him up. Put him on the Mizbech. And then take him off. Nowhere does it say to kill Yitzhak. It doesn't say, So the Bosham, in effect, never issued a command, which is impossible to do. Or, you know, two different uh, nevuas. So, so why didn't Abraham Avinu realize that? No, he didn't. Because when you say, bring him up as an Oilo, but Obviously, the but implication it was in is contradiction to what he told them before. Wait, so he wait, drawing that conclusion too. That it's just to be no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. You know, the Russian said, "Bring him up as an oilo." We assume it means to bring him up as an oilo, completely. And of course, that's not what the Russian said, but that's what he interpreted. So therefore, that came to Avram Avinu. What's wrong? Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. So that came across where Avraham Avinu interpreted that uh, as completely rational. But he didn't question it. Well, he didn't, well, so that was the incredible thing. He didn't question it, which is unbelievable. Not only he didn't question it, he got up early in the morning to do it. You know, wow, you know, so he, he could have dilly-dallied the whole day and said, well, I don't see, I got to eat breakfast first and, you know, then I got my, uh, do my gym Nobody and work out a little bit. You know, it's like, you know, uh, he got up in the morning and, and went. Why? The question then is, is that the explanation? Great. Why would the Russian do that? Would I ever want to? It's a test. No, we know it's a test, but why that type of test? Why? You know, th there's many tests that the Russian can do. But most of them involve unknown. We don't know why the Rebbeinu did it. Uh, but the Rebbeinu is always rational. You know what I'm saying? There's always a reason. But there cannot be a tzivoy which is fundamentally contradictory to each other in real terms. So the real question is, why would he do that? Why would he test Avram with a classic or incredible test called irrationality? And you know what the answer is? What I think? Because this last test, when Avraham Avinu will pass it, it will enable us to have the schus of the Rebbeinu being irrational to us, or apparently being irrational to us. What does that mean? Because in the end of time, when the first always goes into the hands of the Goyim, it looks so crazy, we can't believe what's happening. You see, we cannot believe what's happening us it appears as if the Bonsham is irrational. So what the Bonsham said to Avraham Avino is because you withstood the test of irrationality, 
that schus allows me to appear to them as irrational, and therefore, even though of course it's not, but appear that way, and that will save my Israel. There's an interesting, a very interesting original, Yisroim Rishon. Anybody ever heard of him? The original? Beyond Hasidim, Rishon, Chokhmah, all these, you know, all come from Rishon. He said two very interesting statements, which I think beautifully defines what happens in the end of days, which is really what we're going through. The first thing he said is that at the end of time, the test that a Jew will be subjected to will be greater than the Akedah's Yitzchak. <coughs> That's incredible, isn't it? You know, in other words, what we are going through now is greater than the Nisoyin that Avraham Avinu had, Akedah's Yitzchak, which is yeah, unbelievable. That's how, and therefore, the reward that every Jew has for holding on will be beyond belief. You see, now, the question then is, well, what was the test of Avraham Avinu by the Akedah? And the answer is, the rationality. It's irrational, right? Therefore, what he's saying is at the end of time, it will be the test of rationality. The Holocaust borders on that test. It's irrational. In fact, the Russian aids and abets the Germans, right? And meanwhile, he's destroying Kaiser, and so on. So <coughs> that test of rationality saves the Jews. That's the Anhogenisteris, that nobody knows how it works, and so on. So therefore, the test we experience now is greater than the Akedah's Yitzchak. But, he says another thing, which is very interesting. What kind of a test is that? You remember the story of Eliyahu and Baal? Mamel Ahara Kamel? Yeah, so Eliyahu says to the Jews, I mean, imagine what a scene it must have been. The whole Jewish nation is in front of Ahara Kamel, right? There's Eliyahu and Novi, right? On one side. And on the other side is all the, uh, uh, you know, Eliyahu. Baal. All the guys from Baal, you know, <coughs> right? And it's a clear day, right? And we'll have Corbonus animals on top, right? And, and, and like Elio says, the one of which lightning will come out of a clear sky, consume the altar, and so on. Hashem will him, that's the real God. And he says, if we prove we're, then follow me. If they prove theirs, fine, you know? Fine, and what happens? We know the story. A lightning bolt came out of nowhere. I mean, there was no, there was no cloud, so you could say, well, it was Teva, right? A lightning bolt came out of a clear blue sky and devoured the, uh, the Mizbech of, of, uh, of Baal. Oh, uh, yeah. Right, just devoured it, and everybody said, Hashem Olokim, right? So the vision says that in the end of time, the lightning bolt will come and devour bowels. Why? That's irrational. You know, what it means is that God is aiding and abetting Baal. You know? But that's completely irrational. How can the Bosham, which is the, you know, loves Christ well and says all the time, oh, Vinua, he's our father, king. Excuse me, how can you actually lend credence to the, of the Baal? It's unbelievable. You know? It's like, God has betrayed the Jewish people in the greatest possible manner. Not only has he not helped them, but he has actually signed on the dotted line of Baal. How does that manifest? Wait, so that's what the originalist says. That's complete irrationality, but much more. Not only doesn't make sense, but he is actually supporting Avodah Zorah. 
Wow. That's the type of Messiah will be at the end. And that's because, that's the whole concept. When they have first the oils, all of this stuff's going on. It's the parameter, it's the indicator, right? It has all the ideas. Uh, <coughs> you know, it doesn't allow us to become ruchni. But more than that, it actually aids and abets and supports Avodah Anti, will all the anti-Jewish succeed tremendously? That's what he said, and that's exactly what's happening. When you take a look around, who's got all the high positions? The positions of control, you know, stature and all that. It's the Shoyim, the Erev the Erev Zero. These are guys in charge, you know? So the question is, excuse me, what's happening? Why are these guys in charge and what's happening here, you know? And this is the idea, that at the end of time it will appear as if God gives them all the Hatzfocha, the know-how, the money, Everything to destroy Yiddishkeit. Or, it's certainly not to allow it to grow. And this is what the original says. And this is the concept of Tfers Yoyiz in the Goyim. Not only do they have the Tfers Yoyiz, but he aids and abets them as opposed to us. Pretty bad. It's grim. What can I tell you, you know? But uh, this is the end of time, you know. Um, uh, this is the Choshek that has to be faced the end of time and so on, you know. Now, just to finish off because it's getting late, you can ask, okay, what's the, uh, how does God feel about this? How does he feel about this? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's his response to this? You know? Is he getting joy out of this? Now you understand what the Gemara does. Let me read to you a short Gemara, you know. Then you begin to understand what is going on in the mind of God in terms of how he feels about what he's doing. Remember what he's done. Not only do we not have Ruchni, right? Not only do they have all the gifts, right? But he actually is supporting them. Make sure that Demat And that's what it means. You know, anyway, Tanya um, Omra Yoisi. Rabbi Yoisi said, I once, Pamachas, I was once walking on the derach and uh, I had a daven, so I walked into one of the churm of Yushalayim. Looks like it was the Mok Mikdash, whatever. He walked into a churva to be able to daven, you know, and so on. Anyway, so he met Elio. Obviously, these people, you know, they were able to do that, you know. Uh, and he met me at the door. Yeah, so uh, I finished the tefillah and I was about to walk out, and there's Elio standing there. So then he said to me, yes, I said, Shalom Alecha Rebbe, and he said, Shalom Alecha, and so on, you know. So then he asked me why I went to the Chorb. Whatever the halacha consequences are, shouldn't have gone there because it's dangerous, he should have did Tefillah Zara, whatever. Anyway, so then after the halachic discussion, oh, Vilmali, he says to me, Bni, my son, he's talking to Rabbi did you hear a voice in this churva? You hear a voice? Did you hear anything? So, um, yeah, I said to him, I heard a divine voice. A basko is a divine voice, which you have to be a tremendous sadik to hear. It's a, it's a proclamation that has to be given out, and so, some people can hear it. 
obviously you have to be in a certain madrega. So obviously Rabbi Yossi was, because he took Deli Yonovi. So clearly he was on the Madariga. They're Basco. I mean, just to, to talk Deli Yonovi is beyond belief, right? So he says, yeah. Shemenahemes Kiyoino. It was cooing like a dove. Vilmeris. And it was saying, and here's the incredible thing. Oile Bonim. Woe is to the children. Because of their sins. Hechrafti as Basi. I destroyed my house. What is that? Yushalayim. Visarafti is Hechali, and I destroyed my palace. Visamikdash. Viheglisim Rebbeinu Umas. And I exiled them among the Umas. What does that sound like? It's method B. It's what it is. In other words, I destroyed my Besamikdash. That's an unbelievable Tfaris. And I put him in Golas. That's the Oiz. Right? It's Mamish what he's saying. And one Shinan is saying, Oi, woe is me. I mean, you're talking about an unbelievable tsar. So, Viomali, so that's what I, I told, that's what Abiyah said, that's what I heard the bus call. Viomali and Elio said to me, Chayecho, Bechay Roishcho, upon your life, Loisho Zugovari Merzkach. It's not now that you heard it, you said the Chavarayim, and you heard this, right? Elo Bechol Yoim Viyoim, every day, Sholish Homim, three times a day, Omeris Kach. The Bonsham says this. Did you believe this? Then he says something else that when they come in and say, Amen Yesh Marabo, the Bonsham shakes his head and he says, Again, Oily, that I exiled them from the Shulchan of the Father. What do you see from here? You see that what the Russian did, not that I, I destroyed my house and I destroyed my city and all that. What are you talking about? You know, what does it mean? What it means is that I went from method A to method B. That's what it means. It starts to be a tikkun. Russian didn't throw everybody out and said, I'll see you guys around. It's absurd. What he really saying is that I had to go from one method of tikkun, which is the recommended way, as they say, and I had to go to method B, which is terrible. It'll do the tikkun. But it's terrible. But what? Firstly, he says that, that I destroyed my city, which is Yushalayim, I burnt my Hechel, which is the Besamikdosh, and I exiled them among the Umas. That's firstly, you see, that's Mamish, the Russian Mamish referring to the different methods of Tikkun. But what's the feeling of the Russian? Oily, woe is me, you see. And he says that three times a day. So what do we see? <clears throat> that the Shechina, the Tsar of the Shechina, is beyond comprehension. It's like that Rosh says, well, what's the difference? They'll do Tikkun A, they'll do Tikkun B. No. But the fact that Klayasol has been shifted into Tikkun B is unbelievable Tsar for the Shechina. That the, we do not have the first Vyoyas. They have the first Vyoyas. And not only do they have the first Vyoyas, but they continue to be Matzliach as if God aids and abets them. It's like the lightning strike comes on Baal, which means that the Bershom wants Baal to be Matzliach, and he just abandons Kleinstrom. But the effect of the Shechin is beyond belief. The Tzah, that we cannot have any Asoga. In fact, if you ever felt, which is interesting, if you ever felt the Tzah of the Shechin for one nanosecond, you would die. It's interesting. You could not survive the tsar of the shechina 
of that concept of what he's saying. What? Where do we see that? We don't. I mean, I, maybe somebody says it, but the, to experience the full tzah is beyond human comprehension. Yeah, we, we do tikkun chatzois, right? What do you do with tikkun chatzois? What, what do you do with tikkun chatzois? Is it merely a matter of saying kapitlach? No. It's to try to connect with the tzah of the shekhinah. What tzah? The tzah that the Bosham has for going from A to B. With the Eden, now we understand. It's not just that first noise they have. We're in Golas, which means we cannot become what we could have become. You know, could you imagine? Imagine, you know, you, you basically everybody is a father. Imagine he's in the role in the yeshiva, right? That, and, he, and you realize he's not going to make it in this yeshiva. You would have unbelievable tzah. And not just because you're paying a hefty tuition. That's not the only reason why, you know? Because this kid will never make it. Whatever reason, the educational system is no good, and so on. You would have unbelievable tzah, right? As a human. Allah has come of a comma that the Bosham has this tzah that it's not just we'll never make it. It's, it's incredible what's going on. You know, we cannot be the ruchni we could be. We can't grow the way we could grow. So we see, therefore, that the tzah, the shechina, is infinite. It's not stamped. You probably can't even be measured. So that's what I'm saying. If you ever felt the total shechina, you couldn't live. It's, it's beyond comprehension. So we try to, of course, do that, replicate that at a lower level by saying, <coughs> so, what, you know, so when you're taking that choice, what is, what are you doing? What you are doing is trying to emotionally empathize, not sympathize. Empathize with God, how He feels, not how we feel. We're not talking about, well, I feel terrible that, you know, I don't have the base to make this. Excuse me. It's not about us in that sense. It's what does God feel that he cannot do the justice to his children, that they cannot be gedolim, that none of us, in a certain sense, really can aspire to be even gedolim of today. I mean, who can be a Chavetz Chaim? Or a Vali Yosef, or a Vali Yashem. I mean, how many people can do that? So what we're trying to connect to in Tikkun Katsuyis is God's Tzah, not ours. And we do in a certain measure, and so on, and that's what Tikkun Katsuyis. So therefore, we see, therefore, that the ultimate conclusion of all this is that the Tzah, the Shechina, that he had to move from first Ve'oyiz, from us, to first Ve'oyiz of the Satan, and then all the stuff that comes as a result of that is Tzah, which is beyond comprehension. That's something to remember, you know. But in any case, we now have a handle on what first values is. It's far more than just what it is. It's also it's a whole barometer of who's got the most source uh, and so on and so forth. Who's got the real goods, as they say, you know. And also, what it means is that we, because we don't have first values, which is the gifts of the Shekhinah, we can't do it. We don't have the first. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have the ability. This is the problem. Because of all the makfil, all the guys who inhibit our growth. In any case, uh, so this is the, the problem. And then I want to go next week into an interesting area, uh, uh, Shem, Yosef and Shem. Why is Yosef buried there? What does this have to do with Ferris Vioyes? And that's the really the beginning of the history of the interplay between Ferris Vioyes, as we will see. It's very fascinating. You understand? Why Shechem is what it is. Why Yosef is buried there. Why is that always the first place that the Arabs take over? I don't know if you realize that. 
And in the father, the first thing that went down was Shechem, was Kevin Yosef and so on. And that's really, uh, in many ways, the, the whole essence of 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 Tzvi's which I want to do next week. So next week is what nine thirty? Nine thirty? Well, I don't know if we're nine because uh, what? Shabbos was over seven, seven twelve.